Nehemiah chapter 2, if you'll turn there. Nehemiah chapter 2. We're going to continue our study through the book of Nehemiah that we started last week. We went through chapter 1. So chapter 2, we'll begin reading at verse 1 of Nehemiah in the Old Testament. If you were here last week, as we opened up chapter 1, we read Nehemiah, who was the cupbearer to the king, and the king of Persia at this time was Artaxerxes, would meet with his brother, Anani. And Anani uh, was asked by Nehemiah concerning the city of Jerusalem, the state that it was in. And before we continue, let's just pray that, Lord, um, as we open up this incredible book to see this incredible leader, that we would gain from it, that we would learn. And thank you for all of us that are here or watching online, that, Lord, we would uh, just allow you to take your word and, Lord, just help us make an application, not just looking at the implication, but the application for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So Nehemiah, he cared enough to ask. He said, how are those in Jerusalem? And remember that Jerusalem was destroyed in 586 B.C. by Nebuchadnezzar along uh, with Solomon's temple. Solomon's temple was a magnificent building. And Cyrus, the king of Persia, when he took over Babylon, he would give the decree in about 536 B.C. The 70 years of captivity are over. He would say that you could return to Jerusalem. You can rebuild the temple. And so Zerubbabel, the civil leader, he brings about 50,000 back to Jerusalem. And they would begin to rebuild the temple. It was a very modest building at that time. Uh, sometimes people will ask me, well, I thought the second temple was very magnificent. It was. But it started out being a modest temple for hundreds of years until right before Jesus was born that Herod the Great, he's called the Great because he was a great builder, began to remodify the uh, second temple to where it was a magnificent building, huge stones overlaid with gold. But at this time, as they built the second temple, uh, it would be the first return of the captives coming back to Jerusalem. It would be later that Ezra the scribe comes with a smaller number back to Jerusalem, about 556 B.C. And now we're going to see in this chapter that the command is going to be given to this cupbearer to the king to rebuild and restore Jerusalem, to build a wall around the ancient city. And as we discovered in chapter 1, that Hanani, as he's the brother of Nehemiah, he, he told Nehemiah, his brother, that Jerusalem is still broken down. The gates are burned with fire. The people are in great distress. And as we go through this book and read about how God used Nehemiah, we're going to see a man who is strong, a man who's courageous. He is dedicated and committed. And we will learn of the godly qualities that this man had. And we saw last time that he had that compassion. He was moved when he heard the news about the state of the city, a city that he had never been to, but it was the city of his fathers, and he was so moved in his heart, he began to pray. And as we open up chapter 2, we're going to see Nehemiah is going to ask the king to go to Jerusalem to rebuild the wall. We will also discover that Nehemiah chapter 2 begins the time clock to fulfill one of the most amazing prophecies that we have in all of the Bible. Uh, the prophecy given to Daniel when he was in captivity concerning the coming of Messiah. But let's begin to look at chapter 2 of Nehemiah, verse 1. We do read, 
And it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, that I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had never been sad in his presence before. Therefore the king said to me, Why is your face sad? And since you are not sick, this is nothing but sorrow of heart. So I became dreadfully afraid. The month of Nisan is about mid-March to to mid-April. We know it's during the time of the Passover. You get that from the book of Exodus. And it's in the springtime in our calendar. So when he began praying, as you recall, in chapter 1, in the month of Cheslev, verse 1, it's been about four months. Four months have passed between chapter 1 and chapter 2. He has been praying, but not only praying, he has been fasting. And Nehemiah illustrates something, an important principle that we can learn from, and that is when we hear about a problem, when we see a problem or a need, we're moved by it. There are times when the Lord would have us to move forward and helping right away. Uh, The Lord puts it on your heart, I'm going to help you right now. But there are times also, and oftentimes, that he would have us not only to weep as Nehemiah did. Remember, he wept. He had compassion. It was a city he had never been to before. It wasn't his fault that they were in captivity. He has this very prominent position, but it's something that touched his heart deeply. And so he wept, and then he began to seek the Lord. And as he did... Here, weeping, he is now waiting. He prayed for four months, waiting for the door to open for what God was going to do. And that is, he's going to use this cupbearer to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. But notice that the king here, as he asked Nehemiah, he says, Hey, your countenance, your countenance is sad. You're not sick. Uh, Your countenance is sad. He had never been sad before the king. And Nehemiah was dreadfully afraid, very much afraid. Why? Because you did not stand before the king sad. He might think that something's wrong. You're not sick. Uh, You don't look so good. Uh, You're plotting something. You're plotting against me. And the king could see it as a threat. But God is working here. As Proverbs chapter 21 verse 1 tells us that the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. And I believe that Nehemiah has such godly character and the king trusted the cupbearer. And I want us to remember this, that the Lord would have us notice other people's countenance. And we can tell a lot, can't we, by somebody's countenance. When your kids maybe perhaps come home from school and you see just the look on their faces, what's what's wrong? Did you have a bad day or your spouse? Or, you know, co-worker when you go into work. Uh, maybe perhaps you go in this week that they had a bad weekend or you're just really struggling. And as we notice people's countenance and even in the church that we can stop and say, hey, uh, can I pray for you? How can I encourage you? Are you doing okay? And it means so much to people when we do that. But as Nehemiah hears before the king, the king uh, in verse 3, or he said to the king, May the king live forever. That's how you talk to kings back then. Why should my face not be sad when the city in the place of my father's tomb lies waste and its gates are burned with fire? And then the king said to me, What do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. So Nehemiah explains why he is sad. Why wouldn't I be sad? 
He's being honest with the king. And when the king asks, what is your request? Notice that Nehemiah, he throws up a quick prayer. But keep in mind, it was backed up with four months of prayer. Nehemiah prays before the throne of the king of Persia, Artaxerxes. But his prayers, listen, would be heard by the king of the universe that was presented before the throne of God in heaven. And when we pray, the Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16 tells us, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That we can go to him in our time of need. And we know that Hebrews chapter 10 declares that we can come boldly with confidence into the Holy of Holies because of the blood of Jesus Christ. We can come into his presence, is what's being told to us there in the book of Hebrews, with confidence. It's not our own confidence, but in confidence of what Jesus Christ has done for us as he went to the cross and he died for our sins. We're forgiven people, but it also brings reconciliation, that is relationship with the Father. And we are invited by our Father, a merciful God, to come to him in time of need. And we can come boldly. You see, Nehemiah had to be very careful here. Because if he angered the king, well, he could lose everything. Not only just his position, but if the king thought he was up to something, his life perhaps would be in jeopardy. And I am so thankful for you and for me as we have the spirit of adoption. Always remember what Romans chapter 8 verse 15 tells us. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage to fear, but the spirit of adoption where we can cry out, Abba, Father. You and I as believers in Jesus Christ are the only ones that can say that. That we can go to our Father in time of need and we're invited to do that. Sometimes people say, should I pray since God knows everything and what's going to happen? He invites you and I to come to him and to cast our cares upon him because he does care for us. And as we continue reading in the chapter, verse 5, And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tomb, that I may rebuild that. You might want to underline that. Then the king said to me, and the queen also sitting beside him, How long will your journey be, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. So not only did Nehemiah pray, but that prayer would lead him to plan. He knew what to say. When the king said, what's your request, Nehemiah? He didn't hem and haw. He didn't say, well, I haven't really thought about it. Well, um, I don't know. Uh, uh, The Lord had been speaking to his heart because he had been seeking the Lord. Nehemiah said, if it pleases the king, send me to Judah. And I think that Nehemiah here, he's showing that respect to the king. And I think that the king here, no doubt, had great respect for Nehemiah. For it pleased the king, is what we read, to send me. And I set him a time. In other words, I'm going. I'm going to go to to Judah. Send me to Judah. In Isaiah chapter 6, when the prophet saw the Lord high and lifted up in the year that King Uzziah died. I saw the Lord high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. And he would hear the voice of the Lord that said, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah said, Here I am, send me. And perhaps the Lord might be speaking to you and to your heart 
And he's saying, whom shall I send? Whom shall I send to that family member? Who shall I send to, for you to go to that coworker, or maybe the neighbor or an old friend of yours? And are we willing to say, send me, Lord, or at least pray about what the Lord may be putting on your heart? And the stage here is set for Nehemiah to now go to Jerusalem and to notice verse 5, to rebuild it. That's very important to notice. And this, of course, many of you know, would begin the countdown of the prophecy of Daniel chapter 9. The 70 weeks of Daniel, we've gone over it before in our study of Daniel, but it may be new to you as Daniel in captivity uh, before this. Uh, the 70 years of captivity are almost over. Daniel's praying. He's praying about the 70 years of captivity. Gabriel comes to him and says, I come to give you understanding and clarity about 70 weeks. That is 70 periods of seven years. And as you read the prophecy in verse 25, know therefore and understand that the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem. That's what we're reading about, right? In chapter 2. Then until Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks, 62 weeks, the street shall be built again, and the wall, even in troublesome time. We're going to see that this is troublesome time, as Nehemiah is going to receive threats by the enemy, and we'll see that going through this book. So here, in chapter 2 of Nehemiah, you can make reference to it, that, that this is when the command comes out to rebuild and restore Jerusalem. There are sometimes people that say, well, that happened in 536 B.C., Cyrus, the king of Persia, did not give the command to rebuild and restore Jerusalem. He gave the command to rebuild the temple. Here is the command to rebuild it. And this prophecy that's given to us, which is one of the most amazing prophecies, that as we read here, chapter 2, verse 1, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, in the month of Nisan, when a day is not given, it's always assumed that it's going to be the first day of the month. So you can check out Sir Robert Anderson's work in 1894. Uh, he was an inspector in Scotland Yard. He was a brilliant man. He was a great theologian. He wrote a book called The Coming Prince. And he would, along with the British um, Observatory, would make the calculations here. And they went back to the first day of the month in Nisan in the 20th year of Artaxerxes, and they came to the date of March 14, 445 B.C. So when the command comes out to rebuild and restore Jerusalem until coming of Messiah the Prince, it's going to be 69 periods of seven years, or 483 years, or 173,880 days using a 360-day calendar, the Jewish calendar. And they did the calculations, and it came to April 6, 32 AD. What happened on that day? Jesus told a couple of his disciples, go into the village and get this young foal of a donkey. And he makes his way down the Mount of Olives and into the city of Jerusalem where a great multitude is what Matthew writes in his narrative. Or they're waving palm branches and they're crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It was the first time that Jesus accepted public worship and they're ascribing to him the title of Messiah. And the religious leaders are saying to Jesus, tell your disciples to be quiet. And Jesus said, if these would be quiet and silent, the very rocks are going to cry out. Why? 
because you should have known the day of your visitation. That when the command came out to rebuild and restore Jerusalem, it's going to be 483 years. It's going to be 173,880 days. And Messiah comes into Jerusalem. Absolutely amazing. So Nehemiah here says, send me. And what does the Lord say to you? Who's going to go? Because you may be the only light that are in people's life. The only one that's going to give the gospel. And the most important message for anyone to ever hear is that Jesus Christ died for you and loves you. And he desires to use you and send you. Be open to what the Lord wants to do. But as we continue reading here, back to our text in verse 7, he not only that he says, send me, but now he says, provide for me, verse 7. Furthermore, I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me for the governors of the region beyond the river, that they must permit me to pass through till I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he might give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel, which pertains to the temple, for the city wall, and for the house that I will occupy. And the king granted them to me according to... Uh, the good hand of my God upon me. Uh, what is it that I've already said in the service today? What I've said to this congregation many times. Where God guides, he provides. And that's how God is working here. And Nehemiah again had, had been praying and he was prepared on what he was going to ask. And Nehemiah here, the door was opened up. And he's going to move forward. He doesn't say well, maybe in a year or two, or king, I'm not quite ready, or... No, he's being directed by the Lord. And when we go to prayer, and everything that we do, you know, for the Lord, we need to be praying and seeking his word and being sensitive to his leading. That when he leads us and opens that door, we go through that door. You see, what happens a lot of times with Christians or with you know, ministries is they say, here's the plan. This is what I'm going to do. This is a good idea. You may have good intentions, but you haven't really sought the Lord on it. It's almost like, Lord, this is what I'm going to do. So get behind me and bless this. Rather than seeking the Lord, he puts it on your heart and saying, okay, Lord, I know that you're leading me. You're putting this on my heart. You're saying, send me. So I'll get behind you and let you lead me and guide me. There's a big difference in that. So he'd been seeking the Lord. The door is opened up. He says, here's some needs. I, I need some letters written. I need some timbers uh, and beams for the project according to the good hand of my God upon me. And then in verse 9, then I went to the governors in the region beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. When Sanballat the Hornite and Tobiah the Ammonite official uh, heard of it, they were deeply disturbed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. So Sambalot and Tobiah are going to be the main enemies to Nehemiah and the work of the Jews in rebuilding Jerusalem. Now Sambalot is from Beth Horon, only about 10 miles from Jerusalem. He is Nehemiah's main enemy. We're going to read that in chapter 4 and chapter 6 as well. He's furious when he's hearing that they're going to rebuild the wall. He is going to mock the Jews. He's going to intimidate. He's going to threaten Nehemiah. He's going to try to distract him. 
It seems as though he has an official position in Samaria. Now, Tobiah was an Ammonite. Uh, They were the enemies of the Jews. We will see that he's going to befriend Eliashab, the priest, who's going to keep feeding information to him, how the work is going. And Tobiah would tell Sambalot and Geshem about it, and they would become very angry as the work is going to progress. A third person, as I mentioned in verse 19 of the chapter, Geshem, will also come against the work being done. You see, they don't want to see Jerusalem being fortified. They don't want to see God's people doing well. They don't want them to be dwelling in safety. And, and remember this, that when God is working, the enemy is going to be working as well. And when God is working in your life and when God is working in the life of this church, We need to understand that the enemy is going to come against you. He's going to come against us as a church. He's going to try to discourage. He's going to accuse. He's going to, you know, uh, try to, uh, you know, uh, intimidate. He's going to threat. He's going to try to defeat you and I in being effective at being used for the Lord. It's a battle out there. He's not happy that you're here on this cold Sunday morning. You're growing in the word of God. Will you know that? He's not happy that we as a church that we're reaching so many with the word of God through the radio ministry and other means. He's not happy that you're going to work and being a witness and a light to others. And he's going to do everything he can to make you ineffective to, again, cause confusion, to intimidate, to mock, whatever it is. And we're going to see the tactics of the enemy here in the book of Nehemiah and how Nehemiah stood against that. That's what makes this book so wonderful. This godly leader who has stood firm and and was courageous in doing the work that God had called him to do. And the enemy is very good against coming against us. And he doesn't take a break. You see, he doesn't say, I think I'll give Pastor Jeff a break, you know, this week. I've kind of been hitting him hard lately, and I'm going to give him a break. No, every day he's going to do everything that he can to come against you and me. But remember this. The greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And God is faithful to what he's doing in our lives. And we need to not be ignorant of Satan's devices. And we're going to see here how he does come against us. How he came against the, the, the people of Jerusalem uh, from the outside and also from within. So three days, Nehemiah, we're going to see, is going to survey the city. Let's begin to read that in verse 11. I came to Jerusalem. There was there three days. And then I rose in the night and, I, and a few men with me. I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem, nor was there any animal with me except the one on which I rode. So he doesn't tell anyone that he's there. Uh, he surveys the land, the rubble. He wanted to have all the insight and info before he told the people of the project that he was going to oversee. You see, Nehemiah is being wise here. He didn't want, uh, you know, everyone know what he's doing. He, he goes in at night. He's not being sneaky. But it prevents Sambalot and Tobiah, you know, on them knowing what it is that he's doing. You see, a wise leader will know when to plan, when to move out, when to speak, when to work. And that's what Nehemiah is doing. He doesn't come riding into, you know, the city and, uh, you know, the captains of the army escorting him to Jerusalem and, and saying, I've arrived and I'm taking over and being overbearing. I'm the cupbearer to the king. He doesn't do that. 
He says, here I'm alone, the only animal I'm riding on, a couple with him. Him and a horse, and he's riding, verse 13, surveying the city. And I went out by night through the valley gate to the serpent well in the refuge gate and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down in his gates, which were burned with fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal under me to pass. So I went up in the night by the valley and viewed the wall, and then I turned back and entered the valley gate and so returned. In verse 16, and the officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done. I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, the others who did the work. So he isn't drawing attention to himself. Uh, there's still a lot of rubble that is laying around. He surveys in the quiet of the night. It's the night watches that oftentimes the Lord will speak to us. As here he surveys the city, it's oftentimes in the night watches that you're going to allow the Lord to survey your heart in the quiet times. I think about Nicodemus. Remember him, John chapter 3? He says that he came to Jesus at night. He's the master teacher of Israel. He's busy all day teaching. And, and, and he comes and he says, we know that you're from God because no one could do the things that you do unless God were with him. And Jesus said, Nicodemus, you're the master teacher. Understand this, that if you want to see the kingdom of God, you must be born again. David speaks of the night watches where he pours his heart out to the Lord. So if you can't sleep, those sleepless nights that you go through, there are those who will say that what you do is you count sheep. Don't count sheep. Go to the shepherd and allow him to speak to you in those quiet times. And even though it's night here, he could plan, he could see, he gets a good survey of the city in verse 17. Then I said to them, you see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lies waste and its gates are burned with fire. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told them of the hand of my God, which has been good upon me, and also the king's words that he has spoken to me. So they said, let us rise up and build. And they set their hands to do this good work. I love these verses. Nehemiah tells them why he's there. And throughout the project, he's going to focus on the greatness and glory of God. And notice here he doesn't say, I'm going to build the wall around Jerusalem. I'm going to rise up and do this work. No, notice that verse 17 here, that come let us build the wall. They responded by saying, yep, let us rise up and do this good work. The hand of the Lord was on them to strengthen their hands to do this work. Even though they're going through, go through challenging times and be discouraged, they said, let us do this great work. And it is this cupbearer that's leading them, and the people come together to do this project. As I've already said, as Angie and Celeste were up here, the language of ministry is we. It's us. It's not just me. But it is us coming together for the work of the ministry. And he's given gifts to us and opportunities before us. And me, as he gives those to be pastors and teachers, as I'm teaching the word of God for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, that you might be equipped to serve in the body of Christ and whatever gifts he gives to you. And he wants to use you. 
He, he raises up people to do the work of the ministry because there is a great work that is going on here. And even as Peter says, we're living stones being fitted together for this holy habitation. Be a part of it. Pray how God wants to use you. And there's different seasons of our lives. Maybe it's we're raising these kids right now in the way of the Lord. And men, you're working hard for your family. You're doing all things as unto the Lord. But there are opportunities, perhaps, that you can be open to the Lord. He wants to use you. And I've said this, and I mean it with all my heart. If he can use me, he can use you. He really can. The latest blog that I wrote um, is the foolish and weak things of the world. Because he chooses the weak and foolish things of the world. The things that are not to bring to not the things that are, that no man will glory in his presence. He wants to use ordinary people like you and I in the body of Christ to do the work of the ministry. It is us. Be a part of that. At this time, it's just right after Esther, who's the queen there in the book of Esther, and it is told to her, who knows that God brought you here for such a time as this. You are here for such a time as this. Pray about how you might get involved. Let us continue to do the work in the ministry. Amen. God wants to do so much in your life and in the life of this church. Let us rise up and let's do it for the Lord. Amen. In the days in which we are in. So, Father, thank you so much. As we, we see here that there are those who come against us. But as Philippians says, striving together for the gospel in one heart and one accord. The enemy comes along to oppose the work, even as we read that in the last two chapters, and despising and laughing. But Lord, it doesn't matter what the enemy of the world says. What matters what you say. We have the God of heaven that will prosper us. And do the work that he wants to do in being a light to others and bringing life to others. The message of the gospel. So Lord, maybe we be in that place of just preparing because we've been praying. And Lord, just we don't serve to get your approval or any of those things. To earn salvation, we do it because we are saved. Because we have your approval. And we want to be able to edify others and be a light to others and for the edifying the body of Christ. So how you might speak to those that are here, may we just seek you. Whom shall I send? May all of us be sensitive to that. And how he wants to send you and where to use you. Father, I thank you that we're going to learn so much in this book. But, Lord, today we know that before we move out, we are to be seeking you and praying, be led by you. You give us a peace that rules in our hearts to guide us and direct us. And when you do tell us to move, that we would move forward, not to lag behind, not to get ahead of you, but be right where you want us to be. And I do want to pray for anyone who's here or who is watching. If you never made a commitment to Christ, that Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he went there to die for your sins. And he died for your sins and he rose from the grave that you might have forgiveness, a living hope through his resurrection and relationship with the Father.
And the invitation is for you to come. He is your salvation. There's none other. You come in faith, realizing your need to be forgiven, believing that Jesus is the Son of God. He proved it when he conquered sin and death by rising from the grave. Will you call out to him? You can do that right now. You can pray, Jesus, I come to you and I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I believe you died for me on Calvary's cross. Forgive me. And I ask that you be my personal Lord and Savior. And I thank you for this new hope, this living hope, this new beginning. And that I have the spirit of adoption where I can cry out, Abba, Father, and cast my cares upon you. As we leave this place, we, we all enter into our ministry field, missions field. And Lord, may you just guide us in every way, being sensitive to your leading. And may we do all things as unto you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you please stand? If you need prayer for anything, or if anybody made a decision for the Lord, if you're online, call us during the week. Let us know. But if you're here, come forward. We want to pray for you. If you have any prayer needs, Pastor Luke's going to close this. God bless you as you go your way.